Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. of that first Christmas is one of the most compelling tales found within the pages of the Bible. It has not one but two miraculous pregnancies, visits from angels, unlikely characters, a paranoid king, celebration songs, and, of course, Jesus Christ himself. Now, bits and pieces of this story are found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and as part of our Great Plains Conference celebration of Christmas, I was asked to take all of those accounts and stitch them together into one story. Luckily, you can find the chronological order of those verses in numerous places on the internet, so let me explain what you're about to hear. I took The Message, a creative yet faithful paraphrase of scripture by the late Eugene Peterson, and I rewrote the story as a full narrative. I then recruited a few friends to provide some voice acting for some of the characters in our story. Full disclosure, there is a video presentation of this story using photographs and artwork as images. You can find it at 7 p.m. December 23rd on the Great Plains Conference's Facebook page, facebook.com slash greatplainsumc. Or you can watch it anytime at greatplainsumc.org slash christmas hyphen worship hyphen 2020. I hope you enjoy this telling of the Christmas story. May you all have a very merry holiday. Christmas time is filled with beautifully decorated trees, with sparkling lights, and sugary treats. But what is this festive time of year really all about? Some people might think it's about Santa Claus and gifts under that tree. We might think it's about Christmas carols, Mistletoe, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and more. But Christians know Christmas is really about a baby, specifically THE baby, Jesus. A lot of people in the world today know about Jesus, but not everyone, at least not yet. All of us who follow Jesus have to keep sharing this important story. And it is important. It's the most amazing story ever told, and it started a little more than 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. Nobody, well, almost nobody, knew this little baby would become the savior of all humankind.
back then, the people were looking for the Messiah, the person who would deliver Israel from its enemies and restore the kingdom. This Savior would bring back light into the world. Let's hear these words from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. This is the story of that light. This is the story of the baby Jesus. Life in Israel was difficult. Oh, people could make a living there. They could worship God in the temple in Jerusalem. They married the people they loved. They had children. But they weren't totally free. At least not like how we think of living free today. And because of that, the people of Israel yearned for a savior, the long-promised Messiah to conquer their oppressors. It had been many hundreds of years. The people were waiting, still waiting. The area we know as Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. That means guards patrolled the streets to keep the peace and to prevent people from doing things that the Romans just simply didn't like. Now Rome was the most powerful nation the world had ever known to that point in history. And the Roman Emperor, way back in Italy, had appointed a king to rule over the land, which was known back then as Judea. That king's name was Herod the Great. was an older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was one of the priests who served God in the temple in Jerusalem, and they were kind of sad. They were sad because they didn't have any children. One day, Zechariah was doing his duty at the temple, and it became his turn to enter God's sanctuary there to burn some incense. He was entirely alone in the holiest place within the temple, and that means he was entirely alone in the holiest place on the entire earth. Suddenly, an angel, Gabriel, appeared just to the right of the table where he was burning the incense. When he saw the angel, Zechariah was paralyzed with fear. After all, Zechariah was supposed to be totally alone in this most holy of places, and suddenly, there, a large, imposing-looking man appears out of nowhere. God's angel did its best to calm Zechariah's fear. Zechariah, I have good news for you and your wife, the angel told him. God has heard your prayers for a baby, and your wife, though she is older, is going to give birth to a son. When that happens, name the child John. You're going to be filled with joy, and many others will find joy because of your son. That boy of yours is going to find great stature with God. He won't drink any alcohol. Instead, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will do what many prophets in the past could not. He will turn the people of Israel back to God. He will teach the young and the old. He will help even the most hardened of skeptics 
understand that God is arriving soon. That sounds like good news, right? Yeah, but remember, Zechariah and his wife were old. Probably more like the age to plan on becoming grandma and grandpa than becoming parents. They were too old to have a baby. At least without God's help. Zechariah told the angel, Do you expect me to believe that we are going to have a child as old as we are? The angel gave Zechariah a stern look and responded, I was sent to bring you good news, and you most certainly are going to have a son. But since you opened your mouth to question what I came to share with you, no, not question, doubt, you'll be unable to speak a single word until the day your son is born. Everything I've shared will come true when God determines it is the right time. Now, just outside where Zechariah was talking with the angel, the people were getting restless. They started mumbling to themselves. What is taking him so long in the holy place? What is he doing in there? What is taking him so long? Finally, Zechariah came out, and the other priests started asking him all kinds of questions. Why had he been in the holy place for so long? What was he doing in there? But Zechariah couldn't tell them. He couldn't speak. He couldn't talk to them at all, so he had to resort to using some hand signals, kind of a made-up sign language, to try to explain what had happened to him. After that, Zechariah then went home, and he had to explain, again, without speaking, remember he couldn't talk, to his wife about what had happened. Well, the angel Gabriel was, of course, correct. Elizabeth did become pregnant, and like the angel promised, Zechariah and Elizabeth were filled with joy. And Elizabeth, a relative, either a cousin or an aunt to a young woman named Mary, gave thanks to God for allowing her to conceive a child, even in her old age. Nazareth was a small town, barely a spot on a map. People lived a fairly normal life there. Some of the craftsmen of the time, woodworkers, stonemasons, and others, likely lived in Nazareth and worked nearby in a town called Sepphoris, just to the northwest. Sepphoris was a bustling city with beautiful mosaics, many buildings, and even an outdoor theater. But Nazareth wasn't known for anything, not for one special thing at least not yet. Later, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, that same angel, Gabriel, made another visit. This time, though, the angel was not visiting Elizabeth, but her relative Mary. This was a joyful time for Mary. She was engaged to a man, one of those craftsmen, named Joseph. He was an unexceptional kind of guy, except he had a distant relative who was very important in Jewish circles, King David. And one morning, that angel, Gabriel, appeared to Mary while she was all alone. Good morning, the angel said. You are beautiful inside and out, and God has noticed you. As kind as these words were, Mary was startled. After all, how many times does a young woman see an angel? 
The angel noticed her discomfort and quickly responded. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel said. God is calling you to the most important of tasks. I know this will come as quite a shock, but I am here to tell you that you will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and you will give birth to a baby. You are to name him Jesus. This boy of yours will be called Son of the Most High. He will take on the throne of King David and he will rule over Israel, the entire house of God forever. His kingdom will never end. Oh, Mary was indeed surprised. How can this be true? I have never slept with a man, not even my soon-to-be husband. The angel calmed her and answered, This is a miracle, but there is another miracle in your family alone. Remember your relative Elizabeth? You know she is older, but she is also pregnant. In fact, she is six months along already. Nothing is impossible for God. In that instant, Mary's eyes were open to the possibilities of her new reality. Oh, she surely saw the problems. A young woman found to be pregnant before she was married could be an outcast. What would her parents think? Surely Joseph would call off the wedding. A single mother likely would have to beg for food and the basic necessities of life for much of her remaining days on earth. She would lose everything. Mary had to be scared. But thanks to that angel, and thanks to her amazing faith, Mary saw past all of those problems, and she focused on this tremendous honor given to her by God. She looked at the angel and said, I am the Lord's servant. May what you have told me come to pass, and may I be worthy of God's trust. With those words, the angel departed. A few days later, across town, Mary's fiancé Joseph paced the floor. He had figured out why his beloved had been acting a little strange lately. She was pregnant. Oh, his emotions ran high. He was mad. He was confused. He was disappointed. Joseph was hurt. He wanted Mary to be his wife, but surely she must have cheated on him with some other man to be pregnant now. But she insisted that she was still a virgin. He wanted to be disgusted with what must have been such an obvious lie. But Joseph couldn't get past one other emotion. He loved Mary deeply. And because he loved her, Joseph decided that he didn't want her shame just to preserve his ego. So he started to make plans on how he could divorce her, break off the marriage really, and do so quietly. He didn't want a spectacle that would lead to Mary getting into any trouble. While still sorting through his hurt feelings and trying to figure out how to save Mary from being disgraced, Joseph drifted off to sleep. And while Joseph slept, an angel of God visited him in a dream. The angel told Joseph the entire story, how Mary had truly been faithful to him, how the baby had been conceived by the Holy Spirit how the baby would be a son, and how Mary and Joseph, the baby's earthly father, was to name the child Jesus. The name means God saves, because the child Mary is carrying will save the people from their sins. This child fulfills prophecy 
about a virgin being pregnant and delivering a son that will be known as Emmanuel or God with us. So don't hesitate to marry this woman that you love. She loves you and has not done anything wrong. In fact, she is carrying God's son because she has found favor with our creator. Joseph awakened and all of his doubts were gone. He no longer worried about what others thought. Sometime later, Mary traveled to a town elsewhere in Judah where her relative Elizabeth lived. As she came near to the house, Mary called out a greeting to Elizabeth and the baby Elizabeth was about to deliver leaped at her womb. This unborn baby was happy to be in Mary's presence and sensed the presence of the baby in Mary's womb. That filled Elizabeth with great joy. She also was filled with the Holy Spirit, so Elizabeth sang out loud, Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the baby in your womb. Oh, Mary also sang. She was nearly bursting because of the good news about her coming baby. I'm the most fortunate woman on the entire earth. She sang. Mary worshiped God by proclaiming that God's actions would never be forgotten, that God is merciful, and that God looks out for the marginalized, for the ordinary, for the unspectacular, for people like her. Mary and Elizabeth enjoyed a rare bond, two miraculous pregnancies at the same time. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months before heading back to her hometown of Nazareth, now quite visibly pregnant. we said earlier about the Romans? Yeah, those folks are firmly in charge in Palestine, which is what they called the land we know as Israel. The Romans needed money to build roads, expand their army, and to keep control of the people they'd conquered. And to do so, they decided to implement a tax. So Caesar Augustus, the emperor himself, ordered a census to be taken so Rome would know who owned property that could be taxed. The census was supposed to be taken throughout the Roman Empire, and that was vast. And that means the census had to be taken in the land known by so many names. Palestine, Judea, Israel. Today, we take a census by logging onto computers or by answering questions from a person going door to door, or even by answering questions and placing the survey in the mail. But in those days, on our calendar somewhere between 6 BC to 4 BC, people had to travel to their ancestral hometown. That means traveling to the town where the family line is believed to have originated. Hmm, how can we explain that? Well, let's say you live right now in Wichita, Kansas, in the south central part of the state. Or maybe you live in Shadron, Nebraska, way up in the northwest corner of the panhandle of the state. But your father's family traces his roots to Berlin in Germany. Then you would have had to have traveled the nearly 5,000 miles to Germany for the census. Now, while the distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem wasn't nearly that great, really just about 90 miles, this was still a long and dangerous journey. We have cars that can travel that distance in just a little more than an hour, depending on the speed limit. But in those days, people walked everywhere. At the rate of about 10 miles per day on foot, that's still a nine-day journey. And let's not forget, Mary is coming close to her time to give birth.
entrance to Bethlehem, the place where Joseph's ancestor King David was born, must have been quite a sight in those days. The peaceful small town was overrun with people coming to town for this census. This little town, a village really, was not built for so many people. So Joseph, eager to find his pregnant wife shelter and a little comfort at such an uncomfortable time for her, probably first went to family members he knew. But there was no room for them in the residence. He probably tried to find a room for them to stay in a hostel, kind of like a shared hotel room. But he was turned away again. At some point, with there being no room for them in standard locations, Joseph probably went back to one of his family members and asked to stay somewhere with a roof overhead to protect his pregnant wife from the elements. We don't know why others failed to give up their room for a pregnant woman, but the only place with a roof overhead was the stable. Unlike barns we know from farms today, these rooms for the family's animals often were actually part of the house, connected on one side or below or above the living floor of the residence. Mary went into labor with all of that stuff going on at the same time. Instead of being comfortable in the home of a family or even in a shared hotel room, she had to give birth in a stable. Tired from the labor of delivering her firstborn son, Mary wrapped the baby in a blanket and laid him to rest in the only kind of crib available, a manger, a place where God's creatures ate. That was now the temporary bed for the Son of God. We sing the beloved hymn, Silent Night, on Christmas Eve. But amid the animals and the hustle and bustle of a jam-packed town, this was likely anything but a peaceful evening. But what God had promised had become reality. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Deliverer for the Jewish people, was born. Encircling Bethlehem are many hills and small mountains, and nearby on that night, shepherds were camping. They usually herded their sheep into a cave at night and then kept watch over the entrance to ensure none of the animals wandered away. Faintly, in the distance and over the sounds of their nearby sheep, the shepherds may have heard some of the sounds of the many visitors who had taken over the small town of Bethlehem below. But make no mistake, this was a far quieter piece of land than what surrounded that stable, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. But the shepherds' peaceful night ended abruptly. An angel of God suddenly stood among the shepherds. The angel blazed with God's glory. There was no missing this stranger among them. Talk about surprise. In those days, shepherding was considered to be among the lowest of professions. These were the marginalized among the working people. So why would an angel come to them? Needless to say, the shepherds were greatly scared by the sudden appearance of this heavenly visitor. The angel noticed the shepherds were terrified and immediately urged the shepherds not to fear. 
I come with amazing news. The angel proclaimed. There is a joyful event that has just taken place in the town below. The Savior you and your people have been awaiting for hundreds of years has been born in Bethlehem. And while you may be considered among the last in society, on this day, God is allowing you to be the first to worship your new king and master. One of the shepherds spoke up. How will we know which child is the long-promised Messiah? Yeah, how will we know? The angel replied. Don't look for him in a home or in a hostel. Instead, you'll find him wrapped in a blanket, resting in a manger. Go at once. As the shepherds pondered what they had just been told, that one angel was now joined by an incredibly large choir of angels singing praises to God. incredible performance was complete. The angels rose back to heaven and the shepherds were overcome with excitement. Let's get going for Bethlehem below as fast as we can. God has revealed this tremendous gift to us. Let us go see this baby for ourselves. Yeah, let's get moving. They didn't walk down that hillside. They ran and they quickly found Mary and Joseph and they found that baby lying in the manger. It was just as the angel had told them. The shepherds bowed at the manger, the oddest little throne that any of them had ever seen, and they worshiped. But they didn't stop there. After worshiping the child and leaving this new family to get some much needed rest, the shepherds ventured out into the crowded town and stopped to tell anyone and everyone they encountered about what they had seen in the field. They told them about what the angel had said. They described the choir of angels singing praises to God. And they told anyone who would listen about the baby, that long-awaited Messiah for the people of Israel. And everyone who heard the shepherds tell that story was greatly impressed. journey away in an area that stretches from modern-day Iran to India known as Persia, scholars and studiers of the night sky noticed a bright star. They had never seen anything like it. This was big. This was bright. This was new. They didn't know what it meant, but they knew that it had to be important, so they endeavored to travel a great distance to learn its secrets. stable in Bethlehem. Mary pondered what had just happened to her. She gave birth to a baby boy. And while she knew this boy was special, a true gift from God, she considered the acts of those shepherds who came to worship her son. She thought again about the words of the angel who first told her that she had conceived. And she considered her husband who stayed by her side despite this miraculous pregnancy. 
things were turning out just as she had been promised. Eight days after his birth, according to the Jewish custom for boys, Jesus' parents took him to the temple in Jerusalem to be circumcised and to officially be given his name. This also was a time for Mary and Joseph to carry out their duties under the Jewish law. One of those duties was to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving for their newborn son. While they were there, a man named Simeon took note of this young family, and his heart was warmed. Simeon had been praying for the Messiah to deliver Israel from its oppressors, and he found favor with God. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would see the Messiah before the end of his life. And on that day, led by the Holy Spirit, Simeon decided to visit the temple. And while he was there, he immediately recognized this baby as the future deliverer of the Jewish people. didn't know this man, but she saw the Holy Spirit burning brightly in his eyes, so she allowed him to pick up the baby Jesus. Now I can die a happy man, knowing I have seen the Savior for my people, Simeon proclaimed. God, you promised I would see the Messiah, and now I have, and now others, the entire world will see. Not only will this child bring glory to the people of Israel, but he will be the savior for all humankind. Mary and Joseph were speechless. And Simeon didn't just say these things to them. He said it out loud so that everyone within listening distance could hear. Simeon continued with a blessing for the young family. Israel has failed God in many ways, but this child shows that God has mercy for God's people. Nearby, an old woman named Anna, who rarely left the temple grounds, overheard Simeon and saw the Christ child. As Simeon prayed aloud, she burst into a song of praise to God. She, too, recognized that Jesus would be the one to free the people of Israel from their oppressors. This young child's life was off to a very interesting start. Months later, perhaps as much as two years later, that group of Eastern scholars, the people who studied the night sky, finally arrived in Jerusalem and sought out King Herod. As the ruler of this part of the Roman world, he would surely know the answer. That is, the answer to the question they had discerned and pondered along their long route from home. Who is this new king of the Jews, and specifically, where could they find him? Now, normally a simple question wouldn't lead to fear, but Herod immediately became panicked. His lavish lifestyle depended on him being the chosen king of the Jews in this part of the Roman Empire. A new king, as these scholars said, would mean he would lose his kingdom. 
I am the king of the Jews. Herod proclaimed. Forgive us, your majesty. One of the scholars responded. Of course you are the king now, but we observed a bright star, one we had never seen before in all of our years of studying the sky, signifying the birth of a new leader. We set out on a pilgrimage to worship this future king. This threat to his lineage terrified Herod. Actually, it scared anyone who was in a power position thanks to the Roman Empire. This uncertainty about their future was leading to unrest, so Herod decided to act quickly. The king called together all of the religious scholars and high priests in Jerusalem and asked them where the prophecies had said the Messiah would be born. The priests told him the scriptures, specifically the prophet Micah, spoke of the Messiah coming from the inconsequential town of Bethlehem. Based on where the scholars from afar had told him they first saw the star pointing them, Herod knew he had to take action to preserve his kingdom. So Herod called a meeting with those scholars from the east, but he tried to be sneaky. He pretended that he wanted to worship the future king as well, so he told those scholars that they had his blessing to find the child. Once you find him, don't hesitate to send word back to me so that I may come join you and worship him. So the scholars returned to their search, again using the star as their guide. Wherever the child had gone, the star would follow. Now Jesus and his parents were in their home when the scholars came upon their house, with the star directly overhead. After more than a year of travel, they were finally in the right place and at the right time to see and worship this child. The scholars entered the home and saw Mary holding her young son. And despite not coming from the Jewish faith or tradition, these men were overcome with joy, so much so that they kneeled and worshipped him. They opened their bags and presented the child with gifts of gold to represent wealth. Frankincense, used to preserve and restore health, and myrrh, used in anointing oil as part of faith practices. These were extravagant gifts, the types of gifts fit for a king. That night the scholars slept. They remembered what they had promised King Herod about reporting where they had found the future king. But that night in a dream, God warned them not to report back to Herod. God revealed that Herod was no friend, not to them and not to the baby Jesus. God revealed that Herod had evil intentions regarding the child. So when the scholars awakened, early enough so that they could leave without being seen, and therefore tracked, they decided it was time for them to go home. But their long journey would be by a different route. They took a different path home to avoid Herod and to protect the child and his family. Jesus would grow to be a man. He would be 30 years old at the time he started his ministry on earth. And Jesus kept on sharing his light in the world by teaching us to love God and showing us how to love our neighbors, which means loving everyone. Our story about the birth of Jesus is ultimately a story of God's love. God sent Jesus to live among us. Jesus showed love for us by laying down his life for us on the cross. And now it's our turn to show love, specifically to other people. 
Jesus was the child of light. May we all allow the light of Christ to shine in and through us to the world in this season of light and life and throughout the entire year. I hope you enjoyed this telling of the Christmas story. Again, if you want to view the video, you can do so at greatplainsumc.org slash Christmas hyphen worship hyphen 2020. Thank you to Reverend Daekyung Kim for providing some of the background music with the rest of the background music supplied by Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church. They have tons of great resources, including public domain piano accompaniments like you heard, available for free download. Check them out at umcdiscipleship.org. Sound effects for this episode were provided via a license by Epidemic Sound. I want to say thanks to all of my voice actors for this episode. Reverend Chad Engelmeyer, Bob Aderholt, Reverend Melissa Getford, Barb Black, my son Josh Seifert, David Burke, who you might recognize as the voice of the Potluck Podcast, and Reverend Jim Reed. Along with him, we had Scott Brewer and Shane Warda. Because of other commitments, in layman's terms, is going to be on hiatus in January, but we'll be back with new episodes in February. Until then, I hope 2021 gets off to a good start for you. And again, I wish you all a very merry Christmas season. Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.